Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And it is time for the tech news for Thursday, March 11th, 2021. Let's get to it. Last week, I told you about how the social network site Gab, known for the right-wing political philosophy of most of its users, was the victim of a data breach as a hacker accessed Gab systems and stole around 70 gigabytes worth of data, including 3 million private posts. Well, earlier this week, Gab has been hacked again and even went offline temporarily as the administrators of the site conducted an investigation into the security vulnerability that made this possible. Now, during the downtime, users who were trying to go to Gab got an error message, but the site is back up as of this recording. A hacker using the handle Captain Jack Sparrow that's J-A-X-P-A-R-O, claims responsibility for both hacks, though 
Who knows if that handle represents just one person or it's being used by a group working together. The hacker used authentication tokens that they gathered during the first hack, and they used those to carry out the second one. They were able to access the systems because those authentication tokens were still good. And that showed that Gab failed to reset those security tokens. The hacker also left a message that claims that this hacker gave Gab CEO Andrew Torba an ultimatum, cough up eight bitcoins, which is worth about $450,000, and the hacker would return at least some of that stolen data. Torba apparently refused, which for the record is what security experts say is the right call. Capitulating to hacker demands typically just reinforces that hacker's decisions, and it also encourages other hackers to follow suit, because if you pay the ransom, people know that there's money to be made, and it just makes things worse. Plus, there's never actually a guarantee that you'll ever get anything back anyway, or that there won't be copies of the stuff you get back floating around. Now, I have to say, Gab definitely comes out looking like a terrible steward of user security and data, like absolutely awful. The company has completely failed to protect user assets. And just to be clear, while I am about as far away in political ideology as you can get from the typical Gab user, I also don't really care for hackers who compromise sites and then issue ransom notices. I don't think that's a valid approach either. I don't think anyone comes out of this situation looking like a good guy. And that's going to be a kind of common message in today's news items, I think. My guess is that the leaders at Gab are kind of in over their heads. They got the boot from various other platforms due to the actions of their users and different violations of terms of service, so they're kind of forced to take whatever they can get, which is something we've also seen with Parler. Moving on to a different hacking story, I've covered the SolarWinds hack numerous times already about how it looks as though Russian-backed hackers, I mean, it's all but confirmed that they are Russian-backed hackers who compromise SolarWinds software build system, and that let the hackers push out software updates as if they were legitimate updates, but those updates really carried malware to SolarWinds customers, and that gave the hackers the ability to infiltrate thousands of computer systems, and they could then follow up on that attack. This was the supply chain attack, where targeted systems accepted the malware because it was coming from a previously trusted source, that being SolarWinds. Well, now... Cybersecurity researchers have published a report that shows hackers backed by China were targeting SolarWinds at the same time in a separate operation, one that I have previously conflated with the Russian hackers. So it's time to set the record straight based on what these researchers found. While the Russian hack used the method I just described a moment ago, it appears that it was the Chinese hackers who were specifically targeting a software project called Orion. And these hackers, according to the researchers, were really going after a specific SolarWinds customer. And they installed a malware shell, now called Supernova, around that Orion software. So this sounds like it was a much more targeted attack. The Russian approach was different. It let hackers blast out malware to thousands of potential targets, and then the hackers could follow up with 
the specific hits that they wanted to. They could look at who they were able to to capture with that first blast and follow up for further infiltration. Whereas the Chinese approach was different. They were looking at a specific target and went right for them as opposed to doing that blast attack. And we are not done with the hacking stories just yet. Verkata, or Verkata, is a Silicon Valley startup that sells security cameras with cloud-based services, and they were hacked earlier this week. Now, I say hacked, but when I tell you how it actually happened, you might think that hack might be a bit of a generous term for this particular thing. Verkata practices terrible security, and for a company that's in the security business, that's not great. So the hackers responsible belong to a group called APT69420 Arson Cats. Okay. But APT, by the way, stands for Advanced Persistent Threat. It's a common term in the cybersecurity world. Anyway, these hackers discovered that Verkata had an internet portal for the company's internal development system, a way to log in to make changes to code and and various Verkata products. You know, it's the way that the developers can access stuff. Now that makes sense, particularly in a world where presumably a lot of the people working for Verkata are doing so remotely. But what does not make sense is that the hackers say that this was essentially a publicly accessible portal. There were no login credentials required to get to that portal system. So you get there without having to first verify that you work for the company. And on that landing page or that landing site, they found the login credentials to get what they called super admin level access to Verkata's systems. So as a result, they were able to access more than 100,000 cameras. The number I, I frequently see is 150,000 camera feeds belonging to various Verkata customers. They also got a list that was around 24,000 entries long that that names those customers. And they include businesses, churches, healthcare facilities, jails, and the PGA of all things. Tesla is one of their customers, though Tesla says that the hack really just gave the hackers a view into one of Tesla's supplier sites, but not the main manufacturing facility in Shanghai. A software developer named Tilly Cotman gave details about the hack, presumably having played some part in carrying it out. Now, while we call this a hack, I would argue that finding login credentials on a publicly accessible landing page is pretty much like walking up to someone's password-protected computer and seeing that they put the login and password on a sticky note and stuck it to the monitor. It's not exactly safe. I mean, there's no point in having a locked door if you're hanging a key off the doorknob. Cotman says that part of the reason that the hacker group published the information and shared video from various locations, you know, Verkata customers, is that they wanted to point out how widely distributed Verkata's systems actually are and how inherently unsafe they are. Now, it's hard for me to disagree with those points. I would argue this kind of puts the hackers into a sort of gray hat area when it comes to the spectrum of hackers. So we typically describe them by hats. So you've got white hat hackers. 
These are hackers who probe at systems. They look for vulnerabilities, but the intent is to tell the respective system administrators about those vulnerabilities, hopefully before someone else can exploit them. So the whole goal is to find weaknesses in systems and then say, hey, you need to fix this. But then you've got your black hat hackers. These are the people who are trying to profit from being able to access systems and exploit them in some way. Gray hats are somewhere in the middle. Uh, the hackers didn't just go to Verkada to alert the company of the mistake. They didn't go to say, hey, you've got this massive security vulnerability. You need to fix it right now. They went public with this revelation, which definitely makes the company look bad. And honestly, I think you could make a good argument that there's some merit in that, considering that the whole value proposition for a security company is that it's safe. This is also a good reminder that security systems that include ways to access a camera feed remotely represents a potential security vulnerability. It's always a good idea to do your research before you choose a security solution. On a related note, Jason Kobler and Joseph Cox over at Vice.com pointed out that another really big issue with this hack is that Verkada offers facial recognition solutions in their security camera technologies. And that means that hackers weren't just able to look at video feeds. They could potentially identify the people who showed up in those video feeds. And as they pointed out, quote, the breach shows the astonishing reach of facial recognition enabled cameras in ordinary workplaces, bars, parking lots, schools, stores, and more, end quote. I think that that's putting it lightly, because honestly, while this is all about security cameras and a company that has this kind of proprietary approach to facial recognition. We have to remember that just about everybody carries a camera with them. And depending upon the apps being used, a lot of these companies are able to take advantage of massive amounts of data and do facial recognition on their own. So yeah, this is a very acute uh, case that we can point to, but it's by no means an outlier. It is easy to imagine a scenario in which malicious hackers would not only breach a system like Verkada, but also keep it quiet, right? They might never come forward letting people know that they got access. And the, in the meantime, they could use these surveillance cameras for their own purposes and perhaps even spy and potentially blackmail specific people. The facial recognition genie is out of the bottle. And the fact that there are numerous big companies that are making use of the technology in a widely distributed way means that whenever you're on camera, you are potentially identifiable in real time. And you're pretty much always just moments away from being on camera if you're out and about. So fun times. So hey, let's stay on this topic for a little bit. The United States Army Research Laboratory has been working on image recognition AI applications that will be able to identify faces even if those images were taken in darkness. So this research team took half a million pictures of 395 people, which is a pretty small sample size, believe it or not. Now, some of those photos were taken in normal conditions, normal lighting conditions using a standard camera. Others were taken in low light conditions and some with thermal cameras. I think it's pretty obvious to see where the benefits are from a military perspective of having technology that can identify a person even in low lighting conditions. But there is no denying the idea is more than a little creepy. 
That being said, half a million photos, like I said, is a very small sample size, and the team says they're making progress, but they are nowhere near a level where anything is sophisticated enough for deployment. The system is still struggling to identify images in low lighting conditions. Thermal cameras produce very different kinds of photos than our normal cameras do, and the computer systems haven't quite figured out how to reliably map those thermal images to specific people. Also, they said that just a small change in the camera's viewing angle, like the angle between the person's face and the camera, can make it a lot harder for a computer to suss out who they are looking at. I've often talked about image recognition by using coffee mugs as kind of an example. If you were to feed millions of images of red coffee mugs to a computer, but every single one of those images showed the red coffee mug having its handle pointing off to the right side in some way, then the computer might balk at seeing that same red coffee mug, but with the handle pointed to the left side. That can be enough to throw the computer off. Computers are remarkable, but they can still be pretty dumb in some ways. Still, this area of research is a bit scary, particularly since we already live in a world where lots of entities, like law enforcement agencies, rely on facial recognition technologies, and that's without even getting into the existing problems we already have with facial recognition, like racial and gender bias that can lead to inaccurate results. And gosh, I I wish I had a happier story I could segue to, but I should also mention that the Los Angeles Times published an article titled Clearview AI uses your online photos to instantly ID you. That's a problem, lawsuit says. And yeah, that headline pretty much tells the story. So you've got this company, Clearview AI, and they have an an enormous image database, and they created it by scraping various websites and services, particularly social networking platforms like Facebook and Twitter, but also other types of services like Google and Venmo, and they started gathering photos that way. According to the LA Times, that means that the company has a database of more than 3 billion photos and has software that creates a digital face print of each person based on those photos, which allows for faster facial recognition identification if the system encounters a new image of someone who is already in the database somewhere. So all those photos that people share on different sites without really thinking about it, and I include myself in this group of people, you could be part of that massive database. That means this company could potentially be using those photos to make it possible for Clearview customers, like, once again, law enforcement agencies, to use it in real time with the various solutions. Now, this prompted some civil liberties activists to file a lawsuit against the company in California. They said that the company's practices violate privacy and create a chilling effect on protected activities, such as the right to assembly. Now, right now we're in a pandemic. People shouldn't really be assembling in public in big numbers anyway, but they're specifically talking about things like the Black Lives Matter movement. So the people who have had their accounts scraped were never given any notice that that was happening, let alone ever given the chance to give consent for it. Now, the flip side of that argument is that you could say someone posting to Facebook or whatever is doing so in a semi-public way, right? If they haven't protected their account in any way, then anyone could potentially see those photos. But then you have to ask, what about people who don't have a Facebook account? Maybe their friends have taken photos of them and put those photos up on their own account. Maybe those photos even have identifiable information in them. And then you've got someone who doesn't even have a Facebook account who had their picture scraped for this kind of thing. Does it matter in that case? 
So the plaintiffs are focusing just on California and California's citizens for this particular lawsuit, and they are seeking an injunction that would force Clearview AI to stop collecting biometric information on people in California, but they also want the company to delete all the biometric data that it has already collected. Clearview AI faces a similar lawsuit in Illinois. That one is being brought against it by the American Civil Liberties Union. I'm sure I'll be following up on this story later on in the year as it plays out. It really is indicative of how people are becoming aware that the early choices we made when we were building out stuff like social networking sites were rather short-sighted and have had bigger consequences than we anticipated back then. I mean, heck, Facebook started as a website for students to rate how hot each other happened to be. So (laughs) that's kind of creepy all on its own. It doesn't have the same sort of weight as this is a site that some company is going to use later down the road to build out an identification engine that law enforcement agencies might be using ethically or otherwise, in the future. Uh, And because of those consequences, we now have to revisit those early decisions we made and ask questions like, how can we address this? Are there any ways to fix it? Will it require us to create a ban on the private use of facial recognition technologies? Honestly, those are big questions that we don't have answers to yet, and I don't know what answers we will arrive at, but I will continue to cover the cases. That's it for today's news. I hope you guys stay safe and healthy. If you have anything you want to share with me, the best place to do it is over on Twitter. The handle I use is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.